Scripture reading this morning is from Second Peter, chapter one, and we're going to read three through eleven. Second Peter, chapter one, three through eleven. As His divine power has given us all things to pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by the glory and virtue, by which has been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises by that those that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped corruption that is in the world through lust. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence add to your faith virtue, to virtue, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound you, <clears throat> for if these things are yours and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure, for if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord, Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, I appreciate Brother Joe being able to uh, lead singing this morning. A couple of our song leaders are out of town. The backup was unable to come. And so at the very last minute, I begged and pleaded with Brother Joe that if he did not lead singing, I would have to. And so he wasn't about to let that happen. So he jumped right in there, and I, we appreciate him so much. I don't know what we'd do uh, without him. In his first letter to those who had obtained like precious faith, the apostle identified himself as Simon Peter. Now over the years, as I've read this, uh, this letter of his several times, I always wondered why he would use two names, Simon Peter. None of the other writers have used uh, two names, and they all had uh, two names at least, and but... As a, an older man, when Peter was writing this letter to encourage those who were faithful and wanting them to continue to greater faithfulness, I imagine that he was reflecting on and reminiscing about the important changes in his life because he was a disciple of Jesus. Simon was his old name. When he was called Simon, he was a Galilean fisherman, and he worked on the boats and and Peter was the name given to him when he met Jesus the very first time, John 1, 40 through 42. When we look at the name Cephas, it is a transliteration of an Aramaic word meaning stone. Peter is the translation of that word into Greek. Now, 
Oscar Coleman, a German theologian, once remarked, he suggested that if we reproduced his name as Simon Rock, then we could certainly catch its impact. I think that's correct when we look at the life of Peter. Though Peter was not the rock upon whom the church was built, it was the confession he made, Matthew chapter 16, that Jesus Christ was the Son of the living God. That's the rock on which the church was built. Still, Peter was rock solid in his faith. He would be dedicated to Christ. He had a stumble or two along the way. He made a few mistakes, but ultimately he became exactly what God needed him to be. And because he lived his life that way, he wanted those who were receiving his letter and us as we read it to also become rock solid in their faith to live in such a way that would be pleasing to God and that would allow heaven to be our home one day. His intent was also to prepare them for the coming persecution that was, uh, as it were, at their doorsteps. Also, they were going to face some problems because of false teachings that were going around at that time and of which Peter, John, and Paul all fought against. the, The idea of Gnosticism, the Gnostic movement. And so... He went on to further identify himself as well. He called himself and explained himself as a servant of Jesus Christ. He was a servant. He was a willing servant. In fact, he wrote this, 2 Peter 1, first two verses, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ, Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of our God and Lord Jesus Christ. To understand the proper way to exalt Jesus. To understand the proper way to exalt Christ, one must be a Christian. We must choose to serve Him. It's a choice we have to make. We can't be forced into it. If someone were to force us to to call ourselves Christian or to even go through the acts that a Christian would would do in their worship and different things in their lives, we wouldn't truly understand how to exalt the God of heaven. But when we choose to be His servants, when we dedicate our lives to Christ, then we truly understand what it means to exalt the God of heaven. And it's also a designation. It's a designation that reminds us that we belong to Christ. We're His, and therefore we must act in accordance with who we belong to. And that is, of course, our Lord. And we have an obligation, don't we? We have an obligation to God to carry out the directives He's placed before us. We have an obligation to behave in such a way. And I think it is of the utmost importance to keep in mind, the people to whom Peter was writing, they were Christians. They had already obeyed the gospel plan of salvation. They had accepted the obligation that God had set before them. They accepted the uh, the ability and the uh, opportunity to become Christians that Christ had provided. They believed the message they had heard about Jesus. They had believed the message that Peter had spoken to them and, and the other people who were Christians at that time had delivered that gospel message in the area. They, they wanted to repent of all their past sins, and they did that. They lived their lives in accordance with what God wanted. So they had changed. 
And if we're going to live our lives in accordance to what God wants, there are going to be things in our lives that we must change. And of course, they uh, acknowledged and confessed that Jesus Christ was the only begotten Son of God. They recognized who He was. And they allowed themselves to be immersed in water, to have their sins forgiven. They did all those things because that's what God has asked us to do. And if we're going to be servants of His, we're obligated to fulfill those commands. And of course, they were striving to maintain their Christianity. And that's why Peter was writing. He wanted to encourage them. They wanted to, he wanted them to be able to maintain that Christianity that was so hated in the world at that time. People were persecuting Christians. People were teaching things other than what Christ taught, trying to demean the Christian faith. And that was a common teaching, though, among New Testament writers, preachers, and teachers, wasn't it? To be obedient to the gospel plan of salvation, to gain heaven one day. That's the whole point, isn't it? That's why Christ came. He also wanted them to have grace and peace to be multiplied in their lives. But He wanted it to be multiplied in their lives in the sphere of the knowledge of God and our Lord Jesus Christ. So how are we going to be able to have peace and knowledge and gain those things? Well, we have to understand what God wants. We have to look to the Bible. We have to live in such a way that would bring that peace to us. Brother Tom mentioned in his prayer, the peace that passeth the understanding of the world. We gain that peace through the knowledge of Jesus Christ. He didn't want them to try to gain those blessings or attempt to gain those blessings through the false teachings that was going on around them. That wasn't possible anyway. He didn't want them looking in the wrong direction. He wanted them to look to the source. Peter did recognize that they had gained that knowledge of Jesus, but he wanted them to have a fuller, a riper, a more uh, uh, mature relationship with Jesus. And that's what the two-word phrase grace and peace intends, to have a closer and a greater, a more intimate relationship. He wanted them to understand there were no additional truths that was going to come their way. There were no latter-day revelations they needed uh, for which they needed to look. They had what they needed. Christ came. He delivered the message. He died. He put the testament into effect, the will. He went back to heaven. He's waiting there today. He's waiting on the time when he would return and gather his people. And Peter wanted them to be be assured. Those people around who are talking about a better way, that they have a greater knowledge, they're not telling you what God wants you to know. And so in our passage, I believe Peter's goal was to remind them of the blessings that come along with a living faith. A blessing that, or the blessings that come when our faith is active in our lives. And we're going to notice what it did produce in their lives and what it can produce in our lives. And that's what I've titled the sermon this morning, The Blessings of a Living Faith. The first blessing he reminded them of was how they had Uh, been allowed and taken out of the world, how they had departed the world, the sinfulness of the world, and brought into the light of Jesus. They did that through the gospel that Christ brought to the world. They did that through the gospel that was repeated and spread throughout the world. Those that uh, had gone and 
and been persecuted and left uh, Jerusalem under the great persecution of Nero. They had gone into all parts of the world and they went everywhere spreading the word. They went into different parts and wherever they went, churches of Christ were established. And through that teaching, the people who heard and obeyed, they also departed the sins of the world. Now, the full knowledge of Jesus Christ came about as they departed through the through the power of God. The only way we can know anything about Jesus is through the power of God. Jesus is the power behind the sinner's deliverance from past sin. We see that in Romans 6.23 because the wages of sin is death and Christ delivered those who would obey from death. Before His return to heaven, Jesus comforted the disciples by saying He would send the Holy Ghost. He would guide them into all truth. He would help them through this time, John 16, 13. And that's where Peter wanted his reader to go. He wanted the reader to go to the message of the Holy Spirit that was repeated by him. He wanted them to go to the source where they could gain eternal life. And he wanted them to follow the directives of the Holy Spirit. Now, we're to follow the directives of the Holy Spirit today. Now, that directive is not going to come to us personally. The Holy Spirit is not speaking directly any longer to people who are alive in this world. But He has left those directives. We have it. We call it the Bible. God's Word, the sacred Scriptures. And so, He wanted the people who were reading His letter to understand. Don't listen to the Gnostics. They don't have something new and improved. They may have something new, but it's certainly not improved. And so... That's why he told them in verse 3, 2 Peter 1, verse 3, that they had been given all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Now this word life is not bios, the, the living physical things of this life, food, shelter, clothing. It is zoe, which means spiritual life. And that spiritual life was brought to us and delivered to us by Christ. So all things that we have need of, spiritually, has been given to us. All things that pertain unto spiritual life and godliness has been given to us through Christ. But that can only happen in the same way that it happened when it was first brought into the world, through this faithful obedience to the gospel plan of salvation. Anyone who has ever been saved was saved through the knowledge, and we're talking about during the Christian dispensation, was saved through the knowledge of Jesus Christ. He called us, and that knowledge is found in the gospel, 2 Thessalonians 2.14. That ought to clear up any, any confusion, shouldn't it? Paul said we're called by His gospel. That's how we're, we're called by God. He calls us. I can recall one time when Nicole and I and the girls, we were up in Indiana, we were preaching, and or I was preaching, they were listening, and uh, we had kind of a question-answer session afterwards, and a lady in the audience asked me how, how I was called, what was my calling, how it came about. And, uh, of course, she wasn't a member uh, of the Lord's Church. She was a member of a denomination, and, and she had been taught that God will directly, or the Holy Spirit will directly contact someone who is to be a preacher of the gospel. I said, well, I was called in the same way that all Christians are called, by the gospel uh, 
plan of salvation by the faith that Christ brought into the world, the system of faith. And so uh, it isn't learned through an additional message or a better message or anything like that. There is no better message. So the Gnostics at that time, we have Gnostics today. They don't call themselves that. But they think they have a better plan and they know more than God. But the power that saved and would save the people of the world, it was brought about by the power of God and it extended exceeding and great promises. And that's what Peter wanted these people to understand. Do not lose those great and exceeding promises. They had the power, now enjoy the promises. Why? Because we've departed from the world. Now we can be a whole new creature. We can enjoy something that has never been enjoyed in the world before prior to Christ's coming. But why are they precious? They're precious because of what they extend to us. What they give us if we will accept it, right? They're exceeding great because those things are forgiveness. It's peace. The promise of eternal life and a share in the divine nature of God. That doesn't mean we become a divine being. We're not divinity, but we share in that nature. We share in in the, the, the same thought process of what God wants us to be. We look forward to a home with Him in heaven where we reside eternally. That's how we share in that nature. And it was like... A, The pearl of great price, it's so valuable that we'll do anything to gain it. That's what God expects, right? He expects us to give up anything in this life to gain eternal life. When we read Matthew 13, 46, we read about the man in this parable who found this great pearl. He sold everything he had to buy that thing that was so precious. He gave up everything. He gave it all up. But when we read the life of Paul, we learn how he gave up everything. He said, I count all those things as dung, as rubbish in comparison to having eternal life. So we need to be able to properly value what God has given to us. In essence, Peter is lifting up his voice to them through this writing and saying, listen to what I'm saying. Pay close attention to be able to partake in the divine nature. Hear what the Holy Spirit said. Disregard the messages that are floating around, the false doctrines. We need to be able to differentiate between what is true and what is false. And there's only one way to do that. That's through a study of the Word of God and paying close attention. Those people who claimed to be all-knowing intellectuals at the time, Peter and John and, and Paul fought against those doctrines, they said they knew it all. They knew better than anyone. Peter says, don't listen to that. Don't fall for that. You know, when, when we look at what happened in the garden, man lost what he started with, didn't he? He lost that relationship that he had with God, that hand-in-hand, face-to-face relationship that they enjoyed. And the result was that his inner spirit, his inner man, could no longer direct his steps because now it needed to be trained again, right? Our our conscience or our inner man can help to guide us only if it's trained properly. And so they lost that in the garden. And because of that, their physical body began to die. And how is that similar to God? See, that's not similar to God. God doesn't die. His conscience is certainly the guide for everyone. So we have to train our conscience. 
And Peter's telling them, look, persecution's coming. There are false doctrines and teachings being floated around all throughout. Pay attention to what's going on. Train your conscience. You've been given everything you need. Be exactly what God wants. Now the good news is this. When a person becomes a Christian, he regains on the inside what he had lost. His spirit is cleansed. We receive our, uh, and when we receive our resurrection bodies, we will will be uh, uh, we'll gain it on the outside. Then, won't we? We'll be changed in the twinkling of an eye, and we'll we'll be ushered off to heaven when we've been found faithful, and we'll have that same relationship, that hand in hand, that face to face relationship with God that we lost at one time. Why is that possible? All because of the blessing of having departed the corruption of the world through the faith in Jesus Christ. He reminded them of that blessing. But then He reminded them also of the blessing of giving a diligent effort. That's our second point. They had departed the world, and now there is also a blessing in giving a diligent effort. Now, Paul or Peter listed some very necessary traits that if we're going to be able to be pleasing to God, we're going to live the way He wants us to live. He's left us some uh, characteristics. In the first, uh, he listed the diligent characteristics of attitude. He said our personal faith, which was brought about by the gospel system of faith, add virtue. Add virtue. You know what virtue is? Virtue is described as manliness. Now, we can't describe it that way in today's culture. That would not be politically correct. But that means a moral excellence, a diligence to do that which is right. And we know we can describe it that way because David's departing words to Solomon were this, 1 Kings 2, beginning with verse 2. He said, I go the way of all the earth. Be thou strong, therefore, and show thyself a man. We could say womanliness as well, couldn't we? And keep the charge of the Lord thy God to walk in His ways, to keep His statutes and His commandments and His judgments and His testimonies, as it is written within the law of Moses, that thou mayest prosper in all that thou doest, and whithersoever thou turnest thyself. See, we have to show ourselves to be responsible. We have to be man enough and we have to be woman enough to do that which is right and to choose to do that which is right. We, we read about Ruth. She had great virtue. She's described as a virtuous woman. We get over to Proverbs 31. We read about the, the virtuous woman of Proverbs 31 and it is certainly on display and we see it in her life and that's a quality that is highly prized by God. But what do we add to our moral excellence? Our virtue. We have to add knowledge. Why? Because we need to understand the things that we need to know, right? What is knowledge? Knowledge and wisdom are two different things. Knowledge is simply an accumulation of facts. Right? We need to have knowledge. And the Christian must desire to be morally upstanding and we have to desire to learn how to do that. And we do that through this accumulation of facts. Where does it come from? It comes from the same source that Paul told Timothy to go. The Bible. Study to show thyself approved unto God, 
a workman that needeth not being ashamed, rightly dividing or handling properly the word of God. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, Romans 10, 17. Paul also warned this, Ephesians 5, 17. Be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And that can only happen through proper Bible study. And we have to understand what that is, right? All Christians ought to be Bible students. And that means that we actually study the Bible in the way that was intended. We study to gain the information. We do it in a systematic way. One block builds upon the other. We can't jump around and and read it like we do Sports Illustrated or the Reader's Digest or, or the newspaper, right? I start reading the newspaper and I may just kind of flip through the whole thing and see if something grabs my attention and then I almost as is, it's as if I read it backwards. I, I, I begin to go back toward the front and I see a story, I may read it. But see, we need to study the Bible like we're students. Like we're, there's information there that we need because there is, right? We do that in every other uh, avenue of life. When there's information, we study it, those that we need. But then he goes on, to virtue and knowledge, we add temperance. Temperance is uh, self-control, the ability to hold ourselves in, to, to control who we are. That's what the Christian life is all about, self-control, isn't it? Controlling ourselves. In describing the fruit of the Spirit, Paul said, Galatians 5, beginning with 22, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, uh, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. See, that temperance is very important. It's absolutely necessary if we're going to be able to stand justified in the sight of God. Now, a living faith is composed of virtue, it's composed of knowledge, and it is composed of temperance. And that temperance and these other things will lead us to patience or to greater patience. When we are disciplined and temperate, we become patient. And we see that in the life of Job. Job was disciplined. He was temperate. He controlled himself. At no point did he blame God for the things that had befallen him in this life. Because God was not to blame, right? He's a great example of that. Paul encouraged Timothy to follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and meekness, 1 Timothy 6, 11. What does that tell us when we read those passages? That, tell us, that tells us that patience must be sought out. We must seek to be patient because it is difficult sometimes to be patient. I have, a, I have a, a, sometimes a, a problem with being patient. I don't like to wait. I may be even be talking to someone and, and uh, I, I don't want to necessarily hear all the fine details. I, I'm impatient to get to the thrust of the story so I can understand what's going on. Then we can back up for a few details if we need to do that. That's something I need to work on. But patience is necessary. But Peter continued his list of diligent characteristics. He goes from attitude to action. Godliness is an action that must be present in the lives of Christians. It's a humble reverence and faithful devotion to God. That's exactly what it is. We need to be uh, godly in our actions. We need to humble ourselves before God. We need to behave in the ways He wants us to behave. 
Paul told Timothy, 1 Timothy 4, verse 8, he said, For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is, and of that which is to come. We receive a blessing from God in this life and the next life when we're godly, when we behave godly. It's just like the meek inheriting the earth. If we, When we look at the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, godliness helps us to live in this life better. We enjoy this life better when we're godly. We enjoy it better when we're meek, when we have all those characteristics. And we have to understand how godliness will manifest itself in the actions in our lives. One thing that we understand about godliness, Solomon said, Proverbs 23, verse 7, For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. So our godliness needs to be a part of our minds. And then it is expressed in our actions. And how, how can we do that? Godliness presents itself in a, in a myriad of ways. But it presents itself for certainly through brotherly kindness, doesn't it? We are to add brotherly kindness to our godliness. As God is our Father, His children are our brethren, and we ought to love the brethren. We ought to prefer the brethren. And that's an obligation. That's clear to us. That's what God expects. Christ commanded the disciples, John 13, beginning with 34. He said, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. It's pretty easy to love Jesus. It's pretty easy to appreciate and to love God for all they've done for us. But it's another story to love someone else in the way that Jesus loved us as individuals, isn't it? Now that's something that takes practice. We have to practice loving each other. We have to practice godliness. We have to practice temperance. We have to practice patience. And that's an identifying mark of a living faith, isn't it? John also wrote this. First John 5, beginning with 1. He said, Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone that loveth Him that begat loveth Him also that is begotten of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not grievous. Now listen, if people say they love God, the identifying mark to that is they keep His commandments. We can't say that we love God, and then we just simply do what we want to do. But finally, the culmination of all those diligent characteristics comes in the form of of love. And we're not just supposed to love the brethren. We're to love all people, aren't we? Jesus said that, Matthew five, forty four through forty seven. He talked about loving your enemy. He said, Even the publicans love those that they love. It's easy to love someone who you like, right? Very difficult to love those who do not love you. But love is an identifying mark of a living faith because it is the foundation and the reason behind Christianity. But none of those acts can stand alone, can they? You can't have one. They, they need each other. One necessarily grows out of the previous one. It's possessed and needed 
for the next one to be able to be what it's supposed to be. Think about this. Without virtue, would there be a desire to have the knowledge of God? Certainly not. Without knowledge, could we learn the importance of temperance? Certainly not. If we can't control ourselves, are we able to learn patience? Absolutely not. And if we're not patient and we're able to control ourselves and we have that virtue, is there any way in which we can be godly without those things? No, there's not. And if we're not godly, how can we love the brethren? If we can't love the brethren, how are we even going to love those in the world who are not our brethren? Peter reminded those who read his letter of the blessings that come with a living faith. You departed from the world. You have a diligent effort put forth every single day. And then finally, and this is our last point, he reminded them of the blessing of the direction in which they knew they could go. In verse 8, Peter indicated the Christian graces are to be a permanent part of our lives. And if they are, he said blessings would be the result. We'll receive something for that. Not because we're just simply wanting to receive a reward, but we will receive a reward because we want to be faithful to God. But they had to present it in a very specific way, didn't they? Paul said, 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-eight, that we were to abound in our faith. Peter wanted these readers of his to abound in the principles that God had set forth. Peter said, The blessing is we will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The blessing of a living faith is that we will bear fruit. We will, we will do things for God. We will bring honor to His name. And it will prevent the idleness of sin to come into our lives and, and uh, throw us off track. If we're not doing good by necessity, we're doing bad because we're just kind of floating along. We have to intentionally do good. That's what Paul told Timothy. Seek after, pursue after those godly characteristics. Another blessing is the Christian who has departed the world, the one who puts a diligent effort in, knows the direction, and he will not fall from God's grace. That's what Peter said. If you know these things, you won't fall. If, but there's a difference between knowing and knowing and doing, right? And that's what Peter intended here. We can't just know something. If we truly believe it, then we'll do it. God has elected a certain group of people to go to heaven. That's a biblical uh, doctrine of the Bible, our calling and our election. We talked about how we're called through the gospel. The election is our choosing to accept it. He elected a group of people who would obey the gospel and that group of people will go to heaven, and anyone can be a part of that group if they choose. Now, I want us to keep in mind, it would be impossible impossible to make something sure if it was never to be in doubt, right? Now, we're, we are to know that we're saved, and we do that through knowledge. We can know that we know we're saved if we keep God's commandments. But if we choose not to keep His commandments, we can know that we'll be lost and then our salvation becomes doubtful. The blessing of a living faith will ensure 
entrance into heaven. And that's what we want. But a dead faith will ensure the burdens of what follows. If our faith is not alive and constantly growing, we'll be blind. Peter said you won't be able to see afar off, verse 9. When we become enticed with sin, or when anyone becomes enticed with sin, isn't it very difficult to see the end of that road? Now those of us who are standing on the side and watching that, we can very clearly see where that road leads. But the one involved in that sin has a very difficult time in looking to the end of that road, though we understand where it's going. But here's the problem. A person who is blind in this life because of sin isn't very concerned with where the road ends, right? Now remember, Peter's writing to Christians. He's trying to encourage them not to lose their salvation. He does not want them to have forgotten what Christ did for them. Now this word forgotten, that means to have intentionally forgotten. In this very letter, he warned what happens to the person who falls away. 2 Peter 2, 20-22. He used the proverb, it's like a sow going back to the mud. It's like a dog turning and eating its vomit. See, that's not what we want. We, we've departed from the world. we put forth a diligent effort. We understand the direction. Let's not lose that. See, that's the punishment of a dead faith, not a living faith, right? A living faith brings about blessings of an eternal nature. Oh, it's wonderful. We can't even imagine. But a dead faith brings about the burdens of eternal damnation and separation from God and our loved ones who have died in the faith, Revelation 14, 13. Just like in the physical world, you're either dead or you're alive. There's really no in-between, is there? You're either alive or you're not. You may not be very well. You may be sick. You may be on the verge of death, but you're still alive. And the same thing is true in the spiritual world. We're either alive or we're dead. There's no in-between. And so we have to be very careful. We have to be very diligent. A living faith will result in heaven. A dead faith will certainly result in hell. Imagine having gone on to meet the Lord, carried by angels to the bosom of Abraham, will we not all want to say and be able to say, boy, it was worth it all. And that's what God wants. That's what Peter wanted. That was his intention, talking about the blessings of this living faith. If you don't have or you haven't enjoyed the blessings of a living faith because you haven't obeyed the gospel, do that today. Obey the gospel plan of salvation. We talked about that, faith and repentance. Confession, immersion in water for the forgiveness of sins, and faithful living. If you've done that and you've become unfaithful, come back. Don't allow your once living faith to become a dead faith. Come back to God. Repent of those sins. Confess it, whether publicly or privately, whatever's necessary, and God will forgive you. If you need to answer this Lord's invitation, do that as we stand and as we sing.